Hello and welcome to The Political Takeaway. I'm Siobhan Benita. And I'm Oliver Hippolyte Bishop. Hey Oliver, what are we going to talk about this week? Um, so I think we're going to talk about all things Brexit, yeah. all things Covid, yeah. all things party politics, yeah. fun stuff. It sounds stuff. like we it's like we've been talking about Brexit and Covid now for months. Sick of it. <laughs> I know. Sick of it. I know. But unfortunately today we can't really avoid talking about Brexit. So let's come back to Covid because mm. there's so much obviously to talk about there with the tier system and everything. But Brexit, so today, 15th of October... The 15th? Yeah, it's the 15th. No, 16th. Yesterday was the day that Boris Johnson said he would walk away from the negotiating table mm. if we don't have a deal. We don't have a deal. And he's kind of fudged it again. He's kind of walked away, but not walked away. And it just is more of this kind of real macho posturing about who's going to blink first. I think it's a bit of a mess. I think, yeah, it's, it's dicks on the table type politics. The kind yeah. of thing that we want out of. Yeah. Politics, yeah, um, and again, I, I mean, I am quite sick of talking about Brexit. I think the whole country is. And I, what I would really love if I could ever get in a room with Boris Johnson. I mean, it'll be an interesting conversation to have anyway. But I would love for them to articulate the one benefit in a world of coronavirus and pandemics that Brexit still brings. I don't think yeah. they could articulate that, and the fact that we continue to be driving this forward is worrisome. Or the fact that we can't just get this deal done yeah. so that we can go back to the issues that really matter to people. Yeah, do you know, I totally agree. I know people are fed up with it. And I know there's kind of fatigue about Brexit. But seriously, I mean, it was going to be bad anyway. But now with the pandemic and so many businesses and people's lives are just already on the edge. Mm. And if we, I, I don't believe for a second we'll have no deal. I think this is all just rubbish and we will end up with a deal, but it will always be a bad deal, yeah. worse than our current you know, situation. Um, but to put everybody through this stress, uncertainty, um, and just the waste of resources, civil service time and everything that's going on this now, I just think it's, it's shockingly negligent for a government to, to do this. I just wonder how much bandwidth people even have yeah. to take in what's happening on Brexit, what's happening with coronavirus, what's happening with all these elections coming up, what's yeah. happening in the world stage. I think it's just, there were so many things, so many areas of politics that are quite integral to our future that we're now all expected to consume every day, despite just having to get on, do your job, live your life, feed your yeah. kids. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. But it has been a kind of, it's really interesting from... You know, I think it was Michael Gove that said, if we leave, it will be the easiest trade deal we've ever done in history. <laughs> and then it was all the, they need us more than we need them. And then, of course, Johnson with his oven ready deal. And then today with a straight face, he's like telling businesses, you need to get ready for no deal. Just the shameless lies and hypocrisy and U-turns and not to mention the bloody bus. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, I, I can't. Yeah, we need to move on from Brexit because I get so annoyed. And being a Londoner, none of us wanted this. No. You know, well, not none of us, but... Uh, We're happily in a London bubble, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to be in that it. London bubble. I want to be in London that London bubble. bubble and I want to be connected to Europe. And I will <laughs> never stop saying that, so... Yeah. I know, we live them. No, you keep <laughs> saying that. The, I mean, I joined the Lib Dems for Brexit. I, I think it's a shame now that they... They haven't moved back from Europe, but they're not as confident about it. And I think that's a real shame because there's no voice at the moment in UK politics 
unapologetically saying we're better off in Europe. And I want that because we are. <laughs> I think the mistake that the Lib Dems made is that they went so heavy on Brexit in the last election. Didn't really work for them. But now they seem to be deviating away yeah. from that message, which shows just a lack of authenticity, which, I mean, if we look at the history of the Lib Dems, I don't want to start trashing Lib Dems on this podcast. Sorry, we guys. can't do this every week. I know, I know. Last you time, know. last time. But tuition fees showed a deviation from authenticity. Yeah. Now we're talking about Brexit. I think people resonated with the idea that there was at least one party that was just against this shit, period. And then it deviated away again, just for votes and for, you know, any kind of opportunity mm. to get back into government somehow. And I think, we're going to get onto this later, but is that not the problem with party politics? Yeah. That it's more about votes than it is about yeah. being genuine and authentic and sticking by what you personally believe in? Yeah, well, we will, we'll come on to party politics, won't we? But I guess the other thing in the news, so Brexit aside, is COVID, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yes. Um, it's your birthday on yes. Sunday. Happy birthday. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to celebrate, are you? No, I actually tweeted the other day. I said, look, I'm only spending my 32nd birthday trying to go through whatever's on Netflix. I've been <laughs> recommended. Thank you to everyone that gave me recommendations for what Have you watched those arc? Yeah, come on. Oh, yeah. Okay, on sorry. Anyway, we digress. COVID. Um, COVID. So London's now in tier two. Mm. I'm getting confused with the tiers. We're in tier two. So yeah, so that means it also means we might need to do this podcast remotely next week. I know. Because technically we can't be in the same room together. Either that or we do it open air. It's like yet another Zoom call for me yeah. to consume. Oh, I, I know. Was escaping them. I and know. Back in the matrix. But how do you feel about the whole tears? Because I think, I mean, on the one hand, I think the government, to give them a bit of, you know, credit, were trying to simplify things with the three-tier system. I'm not sure it's worked. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about how effective going into a different tier is going to be, seeing as so many towns have been in these tiers. You know, Liverpool's been in, like, tier two for months, right? And now it's going into tier three, so it obviously doesn't work there. So I'm not sure about that, but... Also, I just I think it's shown up a really interesting dynamic between the local politicians and you know I think Andy Burnham, for example, he's played a real blinder. Shout I think he's come Andy. out of the air. Smashing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the first thing to do with COVID is, and well with the tears rather, is it doesn't really matter what tears or how the system works. If you know the government chose to do tears or they chose to do a nationwide what they call it, circuit break, yeah. lockdown, so everyone goes into lockdown at the same time for a short period of time. I don't think it matters. And the reason why I say that is because during that period of time, what you would need for the government is to, like, a circuit break doesn't end coronavirus, mm. doesn't solve the problem. The tears won't solve the problem. It's just a way of pausing for a moment in order to build a sufficient infrastructure to help alleviate the issue, challenges, but the problem is that this particular government had that time over the summer mm. and did nothing but dodgy procurement, mm. giving their mates million pound contracts to do jobs that aren't really working. Mm. They, they paid, you know, millions of pounds to their mates that started a company the week before mm. to deliver PPE. Still to this day, no mm. PPE. So I don't really see how this particular government sounds critical, but I don't see how they're going to resolve the problem over that period of time mm. to get track and trace going, to get mass, mass testing going, to get the capacity in hospitals. It's a lot of work to mm. do without any of the procurement in place 
sufficient procurement without any relationship involved in place. And now all they're really doing is pissing off Andy Burnham mm-hmm. and the whole North. Yeah. You know, just seems like they've fragmented their relationship. It's bad politics. Yeah. I think, I think, unfortunately, I think you're spot on in that a lot of those issues that were really challenging in the initial lockdown, like, you know, opening the Nightingale hospitals and everything, but then realising... It's no good just to have buildings if you don't have the equipment and you don't have the money to transfer staff, mm. you know. So they were basically not used. I don't think any of that's been fixed. There's not a solution in place. So if we if we get to a situation where our hospitals start to get overcrowded again, we're going to be right back where we were in kind of March time, you know, because none of those things have been solved. And, yeah, this week on Track and Trace, even though so much money is being spent on the Track and Trace app, I think it had its lowest um, ever week in terms of actually tracing people, right? It was like 60% or something of people. So I I think you're right. I don't, I'm, there's loads of inconsistencies, but that's not really the point in terms of the rules because I think the government's just trying to minimize contact. But yeah, if we don't, if, if they haven't spent that time productively trying to look at ultimately how do you, get to a stage where we can live our lives with this virus, which is what we're going to have to do until we have a vaccine, mm. then surely anything we go into is just going to end up, we're going to end up going back and back, like another tier level after that and another one after that. And tier four. Yeah, and will we end up, I mean, do you think we'll end up in another national lockdown? I think it's inevitable. I think the inevitable culmination of these tiers is back into a major one. I mean, half the half of England is already now... In a week, yeah, in and effectively in a lockdown. So where does it end? We're yeah. under lockdown. That's a circuit. That's a nationwide lockdown. So yeah. in that way, anyway, what the government should have done if they wanted to be or have an effective tier system, in my opinion, would to be ensure that businesses were provided the sufficient security to be willing to shut their businesses yeah. down or feel secure enough to do so, or to ensure that the most vulnerable in those particular areas which have a tier two, whatever, tier three, were sufficiently supported. You know, we have that universal credit, £20 on top. Yeah. You know, probably good people a bit more. I think yeah. we have that within our disposal, within the budget to do so. But at the moment, you put a, a certain area into that particular tier, there's no support for those businesses or for those individuals. And at the moment, oh, really, the job support scheme, as an example, doesn't really support the idea of keeping all your staff in work. Yeah. Because arguably what you what you want is to have less people, I'm sorry, more people working um, during that period of time, but for less hours. So you keep everyone yeah. in the job until the tier, until yeah. the lockdown is gone. What's happening now with the job support scheme is only really supporting the idea that you have to let people go and keep on fewer staff to be able to pay for that. So again, it's just, yeah. it's bad politics, bad governance. Yeah. And... It's just fragmenting this. Of course, the government wants everybody to retrain in cyber. (laughs) This is the shout out to Port Fatima. Yeah. Did you take the um, the government's test? You know, the what could you retrain as? I won't take any government. (laughs) You're not giving them your data, (laughs) right? (laughs) No. No.
I, I, I tried to take the test, but the site had so many people playing around with it oh, that it yeah. just crashed. But I think every, I mean, a lot of people I saw were being told they could retrain as boxers. That seemed to be like a really, so you can't be a ballet dancer, but you can become a boxer. So I don't know. It's quite a dangerous recommendation from the <laughs> yeah. government. It's some brain damage. Yeah. I, I mean, it, this particular government marketing has been so bad. So bad. So bad. Yeah. I mean, Pretty Patel in the Home Office came in with maybe the best piece of marketing in in this country's history, where they thought that the way to resolve knife crime was to get some black chicken boxes. Oh, yeah. With a hashtag knife free. I remember that. Because if you want to stop kids killing yeah. each other... Where, Stick where it on a chicken out? box. They hang out in chicken boxes. Yeah. Or they would have to say, what's next, you know... Who do they bring... Who do they... <laughs> <laughs> Who do they bring in to do this stuff? Their I mates. Mean, just, That's the whole point. Then they yeah. just get another marketing agency. Yeah. Pay them 600 grand. Yeah. Um, to run Before they turn themselves into a ferry company right. with no ferries, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like all the same people doing all, all of this stuff. You've got to be a genius, though, if you can get a contract for ferries and you don't own any ferries. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's and true. My friend gets here long place for the Tories. Talking of support, though, I guess, and. Um, and U-turns, right? Mm. So, because Boris Johnson said that we won't go into a national lockdown. I tend to agree with you. I think we probably will end up going into a national lockdown. And he's kind of boxed himself into a corner on that because Keir Starmer basically called for one. Yeah. So I think that's going to be another U-turn he's going to have to make probably before Christmas. But the other one, which I just think he was really stupid about, like politically, is the Marcus Rashford, you know, has called for... Um, free school meals to be extended over Christmas, right? And there's a petition, I think it reached 100,000 signatures within a day, which is like super fast for one of those petitions. Imagine being the Prime Minister and you've got somebody as popular as Rashford who's saying, actually, you're in a position of power, you've got the means, you can make sure that no child goes hungry over Christmas and you turn around and say no. I mean, it's just... just isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so there, I was reading a, a report because that's the things I do yeah. um, for fun. You're, you're far more academic than I am. I've realised this. These lies. <laughs> say it again in the podcast. <laughs> no, so I was reading this report by UNICEF and it said that uh, the UK, as it stands at the moment, is one of the worst countries in the developed nations to be a child. So, and it's shocking. So food poverty among young people is in the UK is among some of the worst by a significant margin um, than the rest of the developed nations. It's not even close. Like we are not feeding kids. That's just, it's shocking. Yeah. In a world of the kind of wealth that this country has, not even to mention the fact that we're about to leave the European Union. So the support and the provisions that come with that are going to be gone. And yeah. we're entering a pandemic where we know that the most vulnerable will suffer the most. All this guy is trying yeah. to do is just feed some kids. Yeah. And again, the government has the ability to do this. And not only is it the right thing to do, it just sounds like the right thing to do. Yeah. Why would you not just say that? Yeah. To me, it just shows yeah, the, the troubles with ideology and arrogance that come from people that don't understand what it's like to grow up yeah. in particular type of situations. And you know what's really interesting is whenever somebody puts out an idea like that, there's this kind of response from a certain group in society that says well you can't possibly feed children like we haven't got that much money like where's the magic money tree <laughs> and yet they're not saying why are we wasting so much money on brexit which 
all of the studies now show is just going to cause huge damage to the economy. Why are we throwing away £7,000 a day on um, contractors for the privately run track and trace system when we had really good public servants up and down the country who were placed to do this and could have done this stuff? So there is this, I just don't buy, and the older I'm getting, the more um, confident that I'm getting in saying that's just rubbish. Like, if we wanted to solve this problem, we have the means to yeah. solve this problem. It's just about choices and where we put that money. It is, it's crazy to me, and what I think is, is the crazy thing, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. I mean, I'm not don't clearly be. a fan. <laughs> I know, fucking well, I'm like, no, but it's the. In 2010, Cameron Osborne, I'm not a fan, let's just get out of the way. But what they, in their pursuit of austerity and balancing public finances, etc., etc., they made a big point to focus on procurement, doing it right. They made many mistakes, they mm. do become available, but they were they focused to do it through the cabinet office to procure things properly so that the government has money to spend mm. on things they need to. All of that has been thrown out the window. Like just even the yeah. idea of doing this ethically so that they are able to spend in a logical way and use public finances logically yeah. thrown out the window. Yeah. And so that's why we're in a situation now where people keep talking about there's no money, with no understanding of where yeah. the money actually goes. Yeah. And there's no visibility. It's all being managed through Downing Street. No one knows what is yeah. happening across the whole of the civil service, yeah. really. They're responsible for their own areas, but mostly decisions are coming from one man. Yeah. Areas, Mr. Cummings. Yeah. Um, not, not shout out. No, shout down. Finger, Mr. Cummings. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, just, I think that's, that's really the issue. Actually, you're right. You reminded me when I was in the civil service before I left, there was this massive reform. I mean, one thing Dominic Cummings talks about this load of rubbish that the civil service never reforms. And actually, every year I was in the civil service, 15 years I was there, we had a reform going on of some type <laughs> yeah. and big, like big changes. And yeah, under the coalition, every department had to publish a dashboard that literally, it was down to like the, the last kind of sheet of paper that you'd bought for your printer or your paper clips and everything. You had to be accountable for the money you were spending and the products and the services that you were procuring. Yeah. And there was this real shine of light and um, tra making it transparent. Actually, it was a pain in the butt because so much time went into producing all of those dashboards and the public <laughs> had no interest in like we used to look at the clips on nobody cared about it <laughs> but the sentiment behind it wasn't bad that people should know how money was being spent in the mm. civil service and that was because of like contracts that had gone wrong and procurements that had gone badly wrong and you're right now it just seems to be jobs for the mates and yeah. you know money going to friends and everything we've gone massively backwards um, in that respect jobs for the mates but feed hungry kids yeah get out crazy. of here that'd be crazy yeah, yeah. absolutely message is that yeah disgusting okay so we said every week that we would talk about the news and we just covered a bit of that but we also said we would focus on kind of one thing that you and me care about or have been chatting about mm. and um, this week we thought we would just talk about a very big subject which is kind of Oh my God, the state of party politics in this country. And I guess it was a bit inspired by, I have a bit of a new political crush. And, not Tony. Um, not Tony, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, I, and honestly, I feel like a bit of a stalker because, but Matt Ford 
and his book, Politically Homeless, right? I've never read a book that speaks to me so much, right? And it's just his story of how he went into the Labour Party when he was very young and what happened to him under New Labour and then just how politics has just got worse and worse and worse. And and I was on a webinar that he, Alistair Campbell, interviewed him and he was saying his experience of party politics... He would never go back into a party at all. And some of the stories that he tells about what happens in a party resonated with me in my short, relatively short four years that I spent in the Liberal Democrats. So there's that. And then there's just the, oh my God, the state of the Conservative Party. And I mean, I never have really liked the Conservative Party, but I could always see in the past that there were some people in there who I respected, you know, the Justin Greenings, the Hesseltines, Ken Clarks, people like that. I might not have been entirely aligned with them, but I respected them. And I don't see any of that in the Conservative Party anymore. So just what's happened? How have we got in this mess? And do you think Labour under Keir Starmer is going to lead the charge back? I mean, what are you feeling about it all? I think with Keir, it's uh, TBC and it's to be confirmed. There's good sides to Keir, to Keir, less positive sides to Keir. I think he's got to work out exactly what he wants to be. I don't know if he really is that unifying figure that the country might need. Um, but with party politics as a whole, I mean, I think back to kind of the state of play in 2015. Um, people didn't feel, I mean, we you know, hung parliament, they didn't feel particularly um, confident about the direction of our country mm. and it led to I think on the left um, a conversation about what kind of party they want to be and how they could understand who they want to be and in that discussion we ended up with Jeremy Corbyn, Jezza um, but even then that push to the left forced the right to go further right mm. and then that gave us kind of the populist state that we're in now where most politicians have been able to bypass the distrust in party politics by arguing that they're not actually political anyway. They're, I'm not a politician, I'm, you know, I'm a businessman, mm. or I'm not a politician, I'm just this guy. They're all, you know, it's the Nigel Farages, they mm. are party politicians yeah. in every way imaginable. And when they use that to then paint anyone that's not in this populist, you know, bubble as the establishment, as whiny as are oh, these yeah. guys, you know, they're just from the Islington elite, etc., etc. They don't give a shit about yeah. it, they don't give a shit about you. Which is what we well for them. But then it kind of it's now forced the country into these really quite stark divisions that party politics can't really solve because, you know, with the rise of populism and the emergence of that far left, we've now got you know, we've got Brexit. You know, we've got all the issues that come with it, and now party politics is a bit more complicated, mm. more convoluted. It's no longer just left and right; mm. it's left, right, Remainer, Brexiteer. Then it's ultra Remainer, mm. ultra Brexiteer. Mm. All these different alliances you have to have as a person, but none of them really fit mm. most people's lives. You know, yeah. if you ask people their values, it doesn't really. There's not that much really of a difference yeah. in how people live, but party politics forces them to sit on yeah. complete opposite sides of the table. I, mean, I think that's a failure. I think it's, it's, it's a massive failure. It's interesting what you say there, like about it forcing people to choose. Because, I mean, one of the craziest things I think is the kind of people who won't wear masks, for example, at mm. the moment. And there's a massive overlap between people who won't wear masks, people who think Brexit is all about taking back control, 
people who um, think somehow the state is out to get them and their freedom all the time. And yet all these things have somehow become joined together in this really strange way that you would never have thought about a few years ago. And I think, I mean, for me, like the, the Conservative Party now, anybody that's left in the Conservative Party now, I have zero respect for because they basically all had to sign up to the Cummings-Johnson lie that the withdrawal agreement was the right one, knowing that it wasn't, and they couldn't possibly say anything against it. So I have zero respect for them. But I know there were some decent Tories that left at that point. Where do they go now? In the Labour Party, again, it's slightly different. I don't think they've had their civil war yet. They've not, they've not really dealt with their internal battles. And you can still see that now, the, the conversations that go on on social media between the hard left that's still part of the Labour Party. And, and Keir Starmer's just baby steps towards bringing it back to a more central kind of position. That's going to explode at some point. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, there's no party, the Liberal Democrats just aren't seizing that middle ground in a way that you would hope that they could do, because I desperately want a central... So where do people go? Like, where do we... Where does anybody that feels politically homeless at the moment, where do you go? And it can't be a movement of independence. I mean, I believe in independence for, like, mayoral roles and things. I genuinely believe in that. But mm. at a national level, you've got to have more than a kind of you know, we need a Macron figure coming through. Is that possible? But just, right, so just on that point about that civil war, I mean, the Labour Party had that civil war, right? They, a civil war, you know, quote, I don't know yeah. the war terms. In yeah. Politics, but yeah, I mean, when the STP, so the Social Democratic Party, was formed as they split from the Labour Party that then ended up joining the Liberals and became the Lib Dems, that was a split on a political issue. The Tories at the moment are facing that split. Yeah. I think the reality is we have four parties, maybe five or six, within two. Yeah. And the political system doesn't allow for those people to... Like, if the Lib Dems were successful, or if the SDP, when they split, were successful, we would have a much more mm. nuanced discussion around, you know, where the country is going. But everyone has to be forced, all your different views have to be forced into mm. one party. Mm. And that one party... I mean, more presidential they get is all about what that leader wants to drive mm. you know so I don't think everyone in the Labour Party is a fan of Keir Starmer mm. or views nor should they be and that's maybe I think the, the issue with party politics isn't mm. it is individually you have to like yeah. question, you have to give up what you believe yeah. in order to gain power which is just a mess and I guess the big change will come this is something that I you know it would be brilliant if the Labour Party got behind electoral reform so that, because so many people in the country, you it doesn't matter what your thoughts are, what your values are. Basically, where you live determines whether your vote is going to count or not. Yeah. You know, I live here in Kingston. It doesn't matter if I was Labour through and through. It wouldn't make a blind bit of difference here. They're never going to win here. So you're forced into a ridiculous voting system as well. And so my my personal answer might not be a helpful one, mm. but for me, I just don't really care about, I mean, I care about party politics in that your vote is powerful yeah. and look at what's happening in the country now. If we voted more, then maybe we wouldn't be in this situation yeah. that we're in with populist politicians that don't really give a shit about the yeah. community. But I think I wouldn't want to understate or underestimate the influence and power of 
activism and protest and organizing that happens outside of politics that probably has far mm. more of an influence. I mean, we're talking about Marcus Rashford. He's not a politician, but he's going to have done more for children yeah. than this government probably yeah. ever can or ever will. Yeah. So I think that in this world we're living now with social media and the ability for people to organise on things they're passionate about or to take in news on areas that we don't typically get through our own news media, it enables people to start to fight on areas that they're passionate about. So party politics becomes less relevant. Yeah. The only time we really saw the numbers of party membership growing up was when Corbyn first joined. Yeah. Because of what they thought that Corbyn would become to represent. Yeah. Didn't really work out clearly. But I don't think there's the still a lot of young people that are, you know, convinced that Corbyn is the answer. Because what else to do everything. they have to believe in? Yeah. Give one other name that they can stand behind and say this is the guy that's gonna help us. Not one. Yeah. Not one person is talking for young people yeah. with authenticity. And do you think Keir Starmer could become that? Do you think he'll... Yeah, but I think Keir Starmer's got a bigger problem with trying to balance the priorities of people in the North, you yeah. know, where they lost a lot of support, in Scotland where they lost a lot of support, and they're contingent on their victories, relying on those particular communities, not that there are yeah. people there, but I think the way they view those issues is quite different to young people issues, which are yeah. seen as quite... You know, soft. It's not yeah. enough to really be like we're serious about this. Maybe it's going to be Keir Starmer for a little while, and then Andy Burnham coming in. He must Burnham? be. A, well, like, he's emerging now as like a real voice of the people. He, I he think, is. and actually, the person who must be a bit miffed by this is Sadiq, right? Because you know, Sadiq Khan has had this opportunity. He's got a massive platform as the mayor of London, and yet I think Andy Burnham has just proven that in that moment where you need to use not just your direct powers but that huge kind of platform that you have to drive forward change and speak for reform and really be the voice of the people mm. he's shown I think he can do it much better than Sadiq he's doing bits and like I guess there's just in our conversation we spoke about the bad side of personality politics where populism forces people into believing that their views will be best represented by people that don't really give a shit yeah. about them. But there's a positive side to personality politics as well, where if you are genuinely passionate and want to care about social justice in a way that I would like to think Andy Burnham does, and so I imagine that Sadiq does, how much you are a voice and a powerful personality mm. can drive a lot of change. Like Boris Johnson is in trouble now. Tories are in trouble because they can't just override Andy mm. Burnham mm. because he is a powerful voice mm. with a powerful city background powerful mm. cities a support from a powerful city but Sadiq could do the same but he mm. just lacks that yeah I don't want to say it's so rude maybe that rude he lacks charisma and he, yeah. maybe and he, it's not even charisma because he's a very intelligent very capable person but he doesn't have to doesn't he, he doesn't show to me the drive yeah. that is needed for someone to really fight for people in people's corner, where Andy Burnham is clearly they see him on the on the on the stairs, just like you know, like he's come out of court case yeah. or something, you know, just yeah. like a lawyer shout out to save this guy from death row kind of thing. Like he looks like he's a part, he's the yeah. part. Whereas Sadiq, we know that in if when I were in tier two, London needs a sufficient amount of money from central government to stop people yeah. going back into those food banks or continuing to go to yeah. those food banks or just going into severe destitution. 
but he's just quiet. Yeah. He's just quiet. You don't hear It's him. interesting. There's something about po- some political leaders, and Andy Burnham's got it, whether it's genuine or whether he's just very good at doing this stuff. I don't know. But I, I, I mean, I've met him a couple of times. I, th- I think he's genuine. I think he. There is something about he's so comfortable in his own skin that is an authenticity that shines through. And this is not, I'm not doing a political broadcast on behalf of Andy Burnham because there are other people <laughs> like him. Do you know what I mean? Ken Clark had it. There's yeah. a, I'm comfortable enough knowing I believe in what I say that people respond to that positively. Yeah. Yeah. And I think other politicians who are too worried about, am I getting the balance right? I'm towing a line because I'm, I've got different people I'm trying to keep on board here. And ultimately, it just fails to inspire anybody. And you want more of those kind of authentic voices, wherever they sit on the political spectrum. I think we just want more authenticity. Authenticity. Try to say too much, you end up saying nothing at all. So, what are you doing for your birthday? Um, We're your nephew. (laughs) You've got to explain that. You've got to explain this. My hope is that if I keep saying Ray and Nephew in the podcast, <laughs> that one day... They're going to be a sponsor. Like, yeah, listen, like, we know you've got the Ray and Nephew dominoes, the Ray and Nephew hoodie, the Ray and Nephew socks. We're just going to... Okay, I've never tried this. I've never tried this stuff. Um, so that's got to be one thing we do. If you do, I'm not liable. Why is it super strong? Ice strong. Is yeah, it? Yeah, How do you drink it? Neat? Or like... Uh, you can. Can you do it with you Coke? Value your life. Can you do it with Coke? Yeah, we don't, we don't drink with Coke. Don't you? No, juice. Coke is... Rum and Coke? 50 inch of rum. <laughs> <laughs> what do you drink no. rum with then? Uh, like a grapefruit juice. No. Or like, yeah, like mango. But that's like, a, that's like a cocktail. You need like one of those umbrellas in there, right? <laughs> nah, I mean, I don't... Nah, I just put some ray, some ice. Seriously? Juice, much nicer. Okay. Sounds fizzy. Ah, nah. ah. Well, we need ginger ale. That's as fizzy as I've got. Okay. All right, we need to do an episode just around cocktails. Yes, but let's drink a lot okay. before. And then we'll have an episode. Well, I wish you a very happy birthday on Thank Sunday. Thank you very much. And um, let's come back next week, all things American. Yeah.